If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts. Last week, Paul was in Thessalonica for three consistent Sabbath days, and he shared how Jesus Christ must suffer and rise again for the remission of sins, which, by the way, would have been a very offensive message to the Jews in the synagogue as they were looking for a very different Messiah. We talked about how we need to proclaim the truth even if those who are lost are offended by it, and, and also to the religious. You know, I don't know if you, if you agree with me, the church needs to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Amen? We need that gospel. Well, the religious people within Thessalonica didn't like that, so they started a riot, formed a mod, 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 mod. If you're hip like me, you'll know what that means. Mob, and they partnered with the evil people of the world, and they formed a riot, and they said Paul was a troublemaker. So Paul leaves in the quiet of night, and he heads to Berea. And that's where we're going to pick up in our text, uh, verse 10 of chapter 17. My glasses are over here. So why don't you just go look for that for a moment as I get my eyeballs here and um, picking up in verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night because they had to put a very large down payment down, a, a bail, if you will, that they would leave Thessalonica. Sent them away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were no, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they traveled 50 miles. They traveled 50 miles to come there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds there. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out as far as as, uh, as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as it was possible, they left. Let's ask God's blessing. We'll unpack this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that its truth is permanent. It never moves. It stands the test of time. It is never eroded by culture. Father, we pray that as we study your word, we would simply know and see and love Christ more. Father, as always, I confess my sins in front of my church family. Please wash my feet. I pray that your Holy Spirit would once again and always be our primary teacher. May your Holy Spirit fill me so that I might teach the meaning of this text, not a message that I have. And Father, we love you because you first loved us. So I pray these things and I ask them in your son's precious name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. amen. 
All right. We live in a day and age where changing our minds is simply, it's not allowed. We see this with our politicians, do we not? And our leaders. And, and frankly, we see it within leadership in the Church of America today as well. If we are even caught dead to rights, where all that is in line with reality is screaming foul, they will look us straight in the eye and say, I am right and you are wrong. It is considered by many a virtue to never apologize and to never change our minds. To do so would signal weakness or even worse, the possibility of one of us being in error. And that, my friends, is a cardinal sin. This mindset, by the way, has also found its way into each and every one of our psyches, including mine. And, and for, unfortunately, it has also found its way within the church and our approach to God's Word. Being wrong or changing a position is and sometimes considered a shameful thing. Even if changing our mind or changing our position is more in line with the Word of God. I think all of us know this to be true. There are times when we will wrestle with the Word of God deep down inside on a different biblical position, but we simply cannot move to it even if we see its truth, lest we concede the possibility that we could possibly be in error. Now, because of this, we often come to church to have our positions preserved, We have our positions preserved rather than having the Bible's positions confirmed. We want the Bible to confirm our positions. My friends, the pulpit of the church is dead. The moment we are here to have our positions confirmed rather than having the Word of God unpacked. I remember a time, though, this was all of at least a decade ago. When we as a church studied the structure of church leadership here at Trinity, we were still in the chapel at that time. How many here were still, uh, how many here were at Trinity when we still were in the chapel? Anyone at all? And we studied out um, leadership. And we actually went through it, you know, verse by verse, Timothy and Titus and the Pauline epistles. and, And we studied it for almost a year. And at the end of that year, we had like 50-some Sunday nights. It was miserable. I'm teasing, all right? After a year of studying this, we were going to bring it to a church vault and say, is this the structure that we believe is more in line with the Word of God? We studied it so long, I actually had someone come up to me and say, I will vote however you want me to vote if you just stop talking about it. Victory was mine. No, I'm teasing, all right? (laughs) Poor, you poor people. (laughs) For a year straight, we studied that. I remember one gentleman did not come to a single Sunday evening study on biblical leadership. And the week before we have voted on it, after a year of study, he walked into my office and he threw a printout from a blogger on the internet. This always makes a pastor feel valuable, by the way. Through an article from a blogger, and he says, this is why I am voting no on the new structure, which, by the way, he had every right to do. It's perfectly acceptable. 
And I said to him, Bobby Joe Jimmy, that was his name, all right, I'm joking. Do we have any Bobby Joe Jimmys in here? I tried to, okay, we have one. You're a liar. Because I know your name. It's now Bobby Joe Jimmy, by the way. Michael Guest is now Bobby Joe Jimmy. I said to him, Bobby Joe Jimmy, oh, that's just a horrible name. I haven't seen you for a single study for an entire year. Why did you take the time to bring me this blogger's post? But not attend a single study of God's word. He said, that's easy. My position is settled. If it is good enough for my father, it is, finish this church. If it's good enough for my father, it is good enough for, I want you to hear this. My friends, accepting the teaching of God's word without discernment is not a Christian virtue. Accepting the word of God and its teaching without discernment is not a Christian virtue. We must remain open to learn from God's word, whether we are 8, 18, 28, 48, or 88, or 98. We have to be open to learn from God's word because here is a fundamental truth. None of us have everything nailed down perfectly. Amen? Does anyone want to hear say, I think I got it all. I've nailed it. If you have any questions, just come, observe my life, take some notes, and they could correct the Koine Greek. Of course not. One theologian put it this way, and I love this. No one has ever had a silver tongue that did not have a golden ear. No one has had a silver tongue that has not had a golden ear. That is what we will see here in the text. A group of people who are interested in God's word above all all else. Here it is. Even their daddy's position. Even their mother's position. Because our position, if our position is not in the word of God, then here it is. It's not a biblical position. So with that being said, let's take a look at verses 10 through 12. And the brother immediately sent Paul, and we read through this, and prominent Greek women and men. Immediately, they sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Now, Berea is about 50 miles away from Thessalonica. And more importantly, it is outside the jurisdiction of Thessalonica. And seeing how there was a riot and a mob and a bail posted and all of that stuff, Paul had to go far enough away out of the jurisdiction of Thessalonica so that, what was the poor guy's name last week that got dragged into the city square? What was his name? Jason. A name that many Dispora Jews would take when they left Israel so that Jason could get his financial deposit back. Isn't it interesting to see the real details of God's word just falling from in between the cracks? So he gets out of their jurisdiction. Now, it was under Roman control since around 168 B.C., one Roman lawyer, lawyer, all right, one Roman lawyer and scholar by the name of Tilius Cyril who lived and was born around 100 B.C., wrote this about Berea. He said this, It is an out-of-a-way town. This is the Caledonia of Europe, all right? I'm joking. I just got to get that in. It is an out-of-the-way town. But here's what I want you to see with all of these things here. These are the perfect conditions for an 
a, an embryonic church. Understand what I mean by embryonic. It hasn't even been born yet. It's, it's being developed in Berea. An embryonic church to flourish. Allow me to explain. We're going to add up all these, these things up there next to the Tetilius here, all right? Under the protective law of Rome, out of the way of, in a secluded town, a group of small Jews could study the scriptures in relatively, uh, relative peace, free from any of the vicious influence found everywhere else, like Thessalonica, like Philippi. In fact, this is exactly what Luke tells us when he writes this down. He says this, these were no, more noble-minded than the Thessalonica. Luke literally compares the two groups of people uh, in Berea and those who are in Thessalonica and simply says in layman terms, they were so much better than them. Can you imagine a pastor saying this today? Can you imagine the, 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 the courage or whatever word you want to put in there? Maybe an additional way with this context to add to this, if I could, in our contemporary tongue is to add this. They have it so much better than Thessalonica. You ever take a walk? How many here have ever taken a walk? Anyone at all? How many here avoid walking as much as humanly possible? Calvin, right over there, all right? You should get at least 10,000 steps in. Do you know on average I get 4,000 steps preaching? Thought you'd want to know that. All right, write that down in your notes. Let's see where I'm at right now. Let's do some over-under, all right? Oh, no, I'm just teasing. 3,800, all right. What were we talking about? Walking, yes, thank you. Pay attention. You ever walk around on a hot summer day? And there's been no rain. It's, it's funny. There was very little rain until I put this message together this week and then the heavens broke open. And there hasn't been a lot, of, a lot of rain. Everything is dry. Everything is hard. Everything is struggling. The grass is brown. The trees are wilting. And then off to the side, all right, in a perfect spot, a flower grows beautifully strong under the shade of a struggling tree. It's just simply in the right spot. Even though everything else is struggling, this flower is flourishing. C.H. Linsky paints this beautiful picture here when he says this. In this somewhat secluded, out-of-the-way town, a fair and lovely congregation grows up, a tender rose in a quiet, fair corner of an otherwise barren garden. That's the embryonic church in Berea. So let's take a look at what made them this way. Now it starts out by saying this. These people were more noble-minded. Now the word noble-minded here means they gave Paul a fair hearing. They gave Paul a fair hearing. Let me say it another way. They were, um, let me say it another way. They weren't absent for a year and then brought him a blogger's post. They were more generous and open to learning from the scriptures. There's been times where I've sat down with people and they say, if this happens, I'm out of here. And I say, well, have you studied God's word to examine? And they'll literally say, I don't have to and I don't want to. They were more generous and open to learning from the scriptures. They gave a fair hearing. 
In fact, we see this when we read what they did. Look at this. They received the word with great eagerness right there in the orange. What word did they receive? Well, Paul's word. Well, what was Paul talking about? Well, we find it right here in verse 3 of chapter 17, the gospel of Jesus Christ, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And he's saying this to the Berean Jews in a synagogue who believe that the Messiah will be a conquering political leader. And Paul comes in and says, no, he died. He rose again. You guys killed him. You have to have the forgiveness of sins. You aren't saved. Just because you're Israel, you're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? By the way, we're not saved because we're Baptists and we warm a padded chair. Now, let us pause. And I want you to answer this question. Do you think the message that the Christ had to suffer at the hands of the Jews and the Romans and rise again from the dead... Is the Christ, if you think this is a seismic shift in the position of a Torah-believing Jew, say amen. They could have easily said, I don't want to and I don't have to. If it's good enough for my what? Father, mother. It's good enough for? This is a seismic shift. These dispersed Jews are looking for a political Messiah to save them from their enemies. But they were open-minded. They were willing to listen. They gave a fair hearing. They were aware that learning from the Scriptures, and in this case, the Old Testament Scriptures, in our case, the Old and New Testament, 66 canonical closed books of the Bible, they realized that, the Bible, that learning from the Bible never stops. In fact, the moment you stop learning from the Bible, your walk with Christ will become stale. I mean, just look at it. It just spills all over the page. Look what they did here. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They took what Paul said about a suffering, dying, resurrected Jesus and put it up against the Old Testament to see if what Paul said was true. They would have, they would have put it next to Psalms 22 that, that described the suffering of Christ on the cross long before he ever suffered on the cross. They would have looked at Isaiah and the suffering servant. The, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness would have exploded in their minds. Jonah and the whale, one door through faith to be saved from destruction would have blown up in their mind. Oh, and Abraham and Isaac and that, that ram in the thicket all of a sudden makes sense. And look at the word daily. Daily. It's not like they all had a hard copy of the Torah in their homes during this time. You know, we have so many versions of the Bible. Soon you're going to have the NIV in the pew and you're going to have the NASB in the pew. And most of you have phones that have every version of the Bible in there, including the Precious Moments one. (laughs) They don't have that. They don't have copies of the Old Testament. They, Daddy, read from us Isaiah again, like that ever happens, right? <laughs> again, Daddy, again. That never happens. 
They went to the synagogue. They dialogued. They studied it daily. My point here is this. It was not superficial. Can I ask you a question? Is your study, is my study of the Word of God superficial? Does it go beyond a Google search engine? Does it go beyond our favorite author? In fact, not only was it not superficial, it was sacrificial. How often will we approach the Word of God up and to the point that it is not quick and easy? Sometimes when people come up to me and say, Hey, I have a question about the Bible. Did A, B, C, D, and E, F, G, H, I, J, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z? And I go, I tell you what, why don't you study it this week and bring me back what you learned and then we'll talk about it. And they just go, and I do that too, to dig deep. Now, add the word daily here, okay? And add it to the word examining. They examined. It means to do a judicial investigation. A judicial investigation. Here's the point. It wasn't just a Google search. And when you add the words daily, over and over again, doing a judicial investigation, I, want to, I just want to add, here it is, it's okay to study out the Word of God. Amen? It's okay to take time to develop our positions. I want you to know that the longer I study the Word of God, the more dumb I feel. Anyone else feel that way at all? The more humbled I am that I must study it again and again and again and again and again because I miss things. And then try to align with it more. When people ask me questions or challenge me in a biblical position, I often have to say with all genuineness of heart, I have to say, may I have time to study this out? How many here forget more than you remember? Anyone at all? You know? What is the progressive dispensational position on unilapsarianism? I don't know. I don't remember. All right? I had someone last week, they were like popcorning me on, on Bible references and wanted me to quote, oh, this is so fun, all right? Wanted me to quote the verse as they just threw out references. You know, Habakkuk, Habakkuk that's a different book, isn't it? Psalms 32 verse 1, what, what does that say? I'm like, I don't know. I, I have not, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come clean with you guys. I have not memorized the entire word of God. You okay? Because neither have you, all right? No. And I say, I need some time. Here's my point. I don't know if I have a point, but here's my point. This is what the Bereans did. They judicially reviewed daily what the scriptures had to say. And they came to the conclusion that what Paul was saying about Christ was true. You see it right there. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a lot of prominent Greek women and men. Those who honestly examine the scriptures will always come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. Those who reject Jesus are often very ignorant of what scriptures say. I get so tired of ignorant memes about Christianity on the internet, I just want to throw up. 
It makes me not want to be on the internet. You know, they're, they're ripping Christianity in a faith where its leader primarily wanted to help immigration rules. Christians want to, I'm like, okay, dude, that was not the primary message of Jesus Christ. Of course we should love people. We should help the poor and the needy and the downtrodden and all of that stuff. But above all else, the message of our Lord was repent and believe. Amen? That's the message. And that will transform how you treat people. Those who reject Jesus are often very ignorant of what scriptures have to say. In fact, Jesus just came out and said this. I love this. He said it in John 5.39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them is eternal life. Yet it is, it is the scriptures that point to me. The more you're in the scriptures, the more you see me. He went on to say, by the way, Old Testament Jews, if you believe in Moses, then you would believe in me because everything about Moses points to me. The more we study the word of God, the more we see the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, there is no other outcome from Scripture other than that Jesus is God in the flesh who died for us so that we might live. But our journey doesn't stop there. Our journey does not stop there. Allow me to push the character of these Bereans and what they did further. All of us are called to examine the scriptures and understand what they say and mean, not just because mommy and daddy said this is who we are. How many here, well, I get my glasses cleaned. Anyone at all have something to clean my glasses with? Glasses? You do? You don't seem prepared. Anyone else? <laughs> How could you not be prepared to clean my glasses? All right, get them real good. How many here ever went to your parents and said, why do we believe this? And they just said, give me some answers. Because that's just who we are. Which is code for shutty uppy, all right? That's what that is. Or why do we believe this when the Bible says that? That's just, that's, that's who we are. no idea where we are right now. To push the character of the Bereans even further. All of us are called to examine the scriptures and to understand what they say and mean, but this does not give us the right, hear this, hear this, hear this. This does not give us the right to interpret them as we please. Let me say this another way. We are not allowed to make the word of God mean what it never meant. We are not allowed to make the word of God mean what it never meant. When I was in college, there was a, a, young, a gentleman that was a, a year older than me in college, and he was being sexually immoral with his girlfriend. And when he was being confronted with it, I listened to him use scripture to justify his immorality. This is a true statement. This is where he went. He went to 1 Corinthians 6, and then he went to Genesis chapter 2 to biblically excuse his sexual immorality. Here's what he said. He said, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.16, 6, he who has sex with a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And in Genesis chapter 2.24, God said, a man shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Therefore, when I have sexual relationships with my girlfriend, we are married. 
I want to be gentle here. That is baloney. That is ridiculous. It falls apart. First, if this is true, there would be no such thing as fornication in the Word of God. Two, this is not the full definition of what it means to be one flesh with someone. And three, what are you calling your girlfriend? Seriously. Yes, thank you. Am I the only one seeing that there? Am I the only one examining daily? Let's move forward quickly. Here's my point. We are not allowed to make the word of God mean what it never meant. Friends, let me pause. In a world that says there is no sexual immorality, there is. If you are engaged in sexual immorality with your boyfriend or girlfriend, repent, stop, and find the joy that there is to live a life in a way that brings glory to God. Because here is a practical general truth. Young people, I want you to hear this. The morality you practice outside of your marriage is highly likely the morality you will bring into it. And if that man and that woman can't be faithful to God... Outside of marriage, what, pray tell you, is going to stop him from not being faithful to God inside of marriage? Character is character. Character is character. But the truth of the matter is, that's a rather easy one. So let's push it to a place that might touch many of us here, and uh, that's how my mom and dad always did it. There is a subtle error we must identify with in order to be a true Berean Christian. And what is that subtle era? It is the hermeneutics of tradition. The hermeneutic of tradition. If I could define that, it would be this. Our tradition determines our interpretation as much, if not more, than the text itself. Do we rely on Scripture alone to arrive at our biblical positions, or do we ever use the hermeneutic of tradition, where it speaks to our tradition more than the text? This is where we must be careful not to softly drift away from God's Word because our eyes are clouded with the hermeneutics of tradition, i.e., this is how we have always viewed it. By the way, guess how the Bereans always viewed something? We do this all the time, including myself. Allow me to show you one area we do this collectively as a church. Now, this is going to be perilous for me. With humility, I'm about to peel back some of our own hermeneutical traditions and show the damage it has caused on the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I am almost certain this will get me fired. So, as a Baptist church, I'm going to take you to a vote that says you will not fire me. I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I should be fired. I don't know. But I want to challenge you to be Bereans far more than I ever, ever want you to be a Baptist. It would be great if we were both. That would be great. But being a Berean and a noble-minded precedes it. 
And I have no agenda here except to force us to examine daily, judicially, what the Scriptures actually say. So I'm going to take it to a vote. All those in favor of allowing me to at least just challenge us out of our comfort zones of traditional hermeneutic and that you won't hold it against me, won't get mad and won't leave and will bring me food this week, say amen. All right, three. Qualifications for elders. Qualifications for elders written in the Greek are written in the present tense. An overseer then must be, and that's the Greek word there, hane, is in the present active tense, which means when you see those words, then must be, especially those last two words, must be, they are all in the present active tense. Everything that follows those two words are applied to the qualifications of the elder. He is to be in the present tense, above reproach, a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not a lover of money, manage his family well, keep his children submissive, and be in a young Republican group. Everything that follows that present tense. You see, in the Greek, there are tenses. There are seven of them. Here they are present and perfect, future errors, perfect, pluperfect, and future perfect. Let's look at two of them just to get excited, all right? I can't wait. Hey, would you guys study in church? The seven tenses of Greek and how they affect our hermeneutical traditional view. <laughs> oh, where's your church that I might avoid it? <laughs> but this is why we must examine judicially. Let's take a look at the present tense. Present tense means this. Something that happens continually, the past is not cumulative. Something that happens continually Yet the past is not cumulative, is not in effect today. For example, if I were to come up to David, Tyler, and punch him in the face, Dad, where are you? Have you? Now let's move forward, all right? I punch him in the face, but 20 years go by and I've never punched anyone in the face again, and I am known to be a gentle and loving and compassionate and kind and humble, and all of these things up here, my reputation over time can erase that punch. That's present active. Perfect tense means a completed action which produces results that are still in effect today. They are cumulative, meaning if I punch David Tyler in the face, no matter how much good works, no matter how, what my character, my reputation, if I go 50 years and all I do is bandage people's wounds, that punch 50 years ago is as effective today as it was the day I did it. Now, if you understand the difference between present and perfect, say amen. You got it. When applied to the qualifications of the elders, present tense would mean this. If this man is known for these qualities today, is this his current existing reputation? The question isn't, did he punch David Tyler 20 years ago? The question is, is what kind of man is he today? Is this his existing reputation? 
if applied in the perfect tense, if this man failed once, its results still exist, one and done, he is out. If we are going to be Bereans, we must interpret every qualification in the present tense. An overseer must have an existing and current long-lasting reputation of the following. We cannot randomly throw in the perfect tense because that was our mom and dad's positions or that is just who we've always been. We cannot put in the perfect tense because of a preferred hermeneutic. We are not allowed to make the Bible mean, here it is, what it never meant. But just for fun, let's do it. Just for fun, let's make the Bible mean what it never meant. So we're going to randomly make some of these qualifications in the perfect tense because we want to. Because that's how we read it and we didn't want to actually study it out. Meaning this, if you've ever failed once, you can never live it down. You're disqualified. So let's see how this affects our interpretation and how it affects the church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all the men in here, this is going to be a participatory thing. I promise not to embarrass you. But if you identify, <laughs> if you are a man, please stand. If you are a man, please stand. Ladies, you're out of this one. You are, you are graciously left out of this example as we apply it to the elders of the church. Now men, take a look at these men. We're going to take the phrase, not quarrelsome. Let's highlight that. We're going to go over here. And we're just going to make that one perfect tense. If you have ever lost your temper, ever, ever, ever in the past, some of you are already sitting down. (laughs) Even once. Those results are in effect today. They are accumulative. You are disqualified and you must sit down. Look at the pool we have here. (laughs) By the way, I'm sitting down. This is fun. Let's do it again. Men, stand up, all right? (laughs) This will be fun. Stand up, men. Let's make manage your family well. Perfect tense. Men, if your children have ever openly disobeyed you and you did not respond well ever once in the past, regardless of your age or your experience, you're disqualified. Sit down. You don't count. Sit down. If you have no children and you're not married, sitty downy, all right? You're disqualified. Now, you don't have to stand for this one, all right? But it's too much fun. I want to do one more. You don't have to stand. Let's make hospitality. Perfect tense. If you have ever in your life just once been sick of people and you did not want them around. (laughs) You're done. Here's a question I have for you. Two questions I want you to respond How many people would we disqualify as elders if we decided to make everything perfect tense? How many would be disqualified if we made some things perfect tense? Talk to me. Everyone. But let's push it, shall we?
How many people have we disqualified by making some of them perfect tense? We are not allowed to make the word of God mean what it never meant. That is the goal. Let us be more noble-minded, open to the word, willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to move, willing to say, I might be in error, but be ever aware that learning from the Bible never stops. We must be careful to allow God's word to be our authority and not our hermeneutical preference because the Bereans did that. But I want to say this, if they didn't do that, they would have never found Christ. What do we miss? Years ago, there was a young pastor who was interviewing at a church to be their pastor. One of the elders wanted to make sure the young man would toll all of their positions in the church. And he told the young man, the young pastor, you are only allowed to answer the questions with yes and no. There can be no discussion. How many here feel the spirit of the Bereans dying already? No discussion, yes or no. Because that's the world we live in, right? Black and white. Binary. The elder went through a whole list of church positions. The young pastor said yes to many. Some of them were discernible. It didn't matter. He said maybe, I don't care, doesn't matter. Some of them he said no to. The elder, the head elder, got quite upset, which, by the way, ironically, in the perfect tense, meant that he was disqualified from being an elder. It's just the irony there, you know. He got quite loud, and he said with clear contempt towards the young pastor, I don't think you understand, he shouted. And then he held up a list of the, the positions, and he, and he said to them, this is who we are. With humility, the young pastor slid the Bible across the table and said, that may be, sir, but this is who we are to become. Being a Berean is hard. It is self-sacrificing. It means being willing to surrender everything to the authority of God's word. And when we do, what we get in return is Jesus Christ and a fresh growth in our walk with him. Only when we open to learning and growing will we live stimulating Christian lives. My friends, let us not strive to be a good Baptist church. Let us not strive to keep mom and dad happy, but rather growing Bereans. Let me say it this way. Let this church be the tender rose in a quiet and fair corner in an otherwise barren garden. I love you guys. It is my goal to teach you what the Bible says, even if it costs me your approval. It's okay to say, I was wrong. I say it daily. 
I changed my mind. It's okay to let go of long-held positions like the Bereans. But only, only if those positions are corrected by the Word of God. In fact, it's a virtue. In fact, it's noble. Let us never stop learning, never stop submitting, and growing in the word that leads to Christ. Is not his word awesome? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we approach your your table where we remember your blood and your body. Father, if there's anyone in this room who has willfully broken fellowship with one another, chase them. Church, I want to talk to you now. If you are willingly okay with sin in your life, if you have broken fellowship with anyone in this room and you're okay with that, do not take communion lest we drink judgment upon ourselves. Just take this moment to confess your sins. And as you confess your sins, don't forget the repentance that should follow it. This time, as you pray, I'm going to call the deacons up here. Gracious Heavenly Father, may our church in the Garden of Grand Rapids that is being beaten down by the heat and the drought that is the prince and power of this air our adversary. May our church be a tender rose in an otherwise barren garden. May our love for your word be more important than our comfort. Change us, O oh God. May we be like you. Bless this bread and this cup. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.